0: in a second will that work it helps even at home when the tv's not when you're not hearing it hey uh this was in your bulletin uh on the on one side of it it says notes kind of sermon notes it looks like it's for kids but it can be for adults also uh many of you adults act like kids anyway so there's that and then for you more sophisticated folks or those that think you're more mature on the other side of it is some discussion questions uh, that may help you you can follow along with those uh kind of. Maybe be able to answer some of those before the end of the morning. But those are just some of uh, for your resources. These uh, discussion questions are online. You can find those under our Sunday School tab and a click on Weekly Discussion Questions. And that might help you grow. It might help you as we're studying through a book together. Uh, this week we're going to finish Stephaniah. Next week we're going go, we're going into Haggai. And so it may help you. Uh, there's some resources along with that online to go and, and watch some videos or listen to some, some other sermons or or read some books, those types of things that may help you with some historical background uh, in the books that we're going through or whatever. And then also help you to grow, help you to uh, hold each other accountable or hold yourself accountable to a certain extent so that you may grow and mature in Christ. That's kind of the hope. We're not wanting just to produce a bunch of consumers. Uh, but instead, we want to produce a bunch of producers, a bunch of multipliers, a bunch of disciples who are who are going through the sanctification process and are who are also multiplying and making disciples of Jesus in the name of Jesus for Jesus and for his glory. So uh, I work kind of purposely. And so next week, uh, as we meet together, we're going to study the book of Haggai, uh, the prophet there, the minor prophet we call him. Uh, but we're also going to talk about mission and vision of what, what we see as our church identity uh, moving forward in 20- 2019 and and for the next one to five years as we grow together, as we study God's word together, as we uh, are walking through the process of sanctification together, kind of what that looks like. And I'm saying five years on purpose. Uh, Some of you are thinking, man, five years from now, where will I be? Uh, uh, Some of you are are almost like me, like five years from now, like like Maxi, my beard may be all gray. You know what I'm saying? Like I may be the perfect fit for Santa Claus five years from now. I don't know the way it's going now. I'm thinking that may be the case. But what is our vision kind of what is our purpose what is our identity as a church as individuals uh, as we as we walk through this journey we call discipleship what does that look like Uh, what does it look like for you what does it look like for me what does it look like for those of us who have been gifted by the Holy Spirit what does that look like in the future so come next week come uh, during the morning service in the evening time next week we're going to kind of celebrate talk about uh, the state of the unity is what we call it celebrate uh, with a business meeting even and then a fellowship afterwards so come and be a part of that if you want to be a part of uh, what's happening here, uh, what the Lord is doing at First Baptist Church, First Baptist Church of Lovington. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to study uh, the end of Zephaniah together. Lord, thank you that we can meet together this morning, that we can come uh, with, with joy, but we can also come with anger, with bitterness, we can come with encouragement, and yet we can also be here with depression. God, we can come as saints, but we can also be here as sinners. God, we thank you that your word is true for all. God, that we can listen to it being proclaimed. We can read it and study it for ourselves. And as your Holy Spirit counsels us, God, we can hear about who you are, about how incredible you are, about your son, about your desire for us to be righteous and holy and pure and in you and all that happening through you. So God, as we study this morning your words, may you speak to us, may we listen, or respond to you in a way that's honoring to you and to you alone. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Some of you here this morning call me pastor, and I appreciate that. Uh, you, you are identifying me by, uh, labeling me by uh, the gift that I feel like the Lord has given me, the gift of shepherding or pastoring. And so you call me out. You say, hey, pastor, you call me by my gift. And then in return, I say, hey, healer, or hey, discerner, or hey, teacher. I say the same things to you, right? Back to you. I call you out and label you by your gift. Some of you in the room call me dad or father. Uh, some of you in the room, like my wife, call me master. And I appreciate that. You you uh, you label me uh per- uh, on purpose and, uh, and it's very helpful it builds my uh, self-esteem so greatly helps my pride when my kids call me master it, it just makes me feel so feel so good but if you take a moment just think about your own identity and how you like to label yourself or introduce yourself What do you say when somebody says, hey, Clay, tell me a little bit about yourself? Or, hey, Mandy, who are you? And you begin to label yourself in certain ways. What are those things that you uh, particularly say first? Well, I am a retiree, or I'm a school teacher, or I'm a pastor, or I'm an electrician, or I'm a lineman, or whatever the case may be. Uh, What is it that you're labeling yourself? I'm an overcompensated apprentice. Whatever the case may be, what is it that you're labeling labeling yourself, that you identify most Uh, most with and the things that you're saying do you say hey well I'm a husband or I'm a I'm a wife or I'm a dad or I'm a mom or I'm a grandparent what are those things that you're labeling yourselves and I would dare say that those things those labels those identities that you've that you have have changed over the years you were an infant that, were just, uh, des- that was just desperately in need of milk and now you're a, a teenager desperately in need of a relationship and someone to see how awesome you are. Or maybe you're a retiree and saying, I don't know who I am or what I am anymore. I'm just hoping that that check doesn't change, that it stays the same so I can continue to uh, to base my life upon the, the finances that I'm receiving or, or worked hard for. All these things that we try and label ourselves with. M- most of the time we do do not introduce ourselves as sinner. Most of the time, we don't even uh, go even further than that, more in depth than that, and say, well, I'm a luster, I'm a liar, I'm a cheater, I'm a adulterer, I'm an angry person, I'm full of depression, I'm full of wrath, all these things. We're not labeling ourselves like that. You know, hey, who are you? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'd love for you to know me. I'm a, I'm a guy full of bitterness. Oh, well, great. Can I just walk away from this relationship now if this is who, this is who you are? In Zephaniah chapter 1, we're we're studying this kind of minor prophet that has a major theme of the entire Bible. And we see that their identity, they were trying to identify themselves as God's people. They wanted to be identified that way, labeled as the people belonging to God, yet their sin began to reign in their life. And as their sin is reigning in their life, their identity gets a little bit confused. They start... Uh, mixing and matching things in their life to, to fit whom they want to be, to who they want to be. Uh, we, we love the Lord, and he's been great to us. But we also like these idols or these gods, little g. And so we're going to mix these things together, and we're going to mix and match them, and we're going to come up with our own identity through, through these types of, of things. And they start finding identity in that and security in that and comfort in that. And the Lord comes in, kind of like our decorating committee, and says, I'm going to have to remove all these things that you've placed upon the walls and on the altar and across the, uh, across the room here. I'm going to remove them, take down all these things so you can get back to what your, where your identity is supposed to be, hidden in me. That your identity would be, would be me, the Lord says. That you would find satisfaction, that you would find peace, that you would find salvation, that you would find comfort, that you would be uh, finding all pleasure within God himself. I'm going to remove everything that needs to be removed so that you might find your identity in Christ or in God alone. And so that's kind of where chapter one really is. This identity of here's your sins. Here's where you've messed up. There's, there's punishment and judgment for your sin. You've been trying to find satisfaction, uh, life, uh, abundant life. You've been trying to find them in all these things upon this earth that have just led to sin and rebellion and denial of who God really is. Denial of his judgment. Uh, you've been trying to find your, your life in that. So I need to remove those. I need to judge that. I need to discipline that. Remove those things from, from your life so that you might find, in seeking me, you might find your identity in me and uh, in me alone. I mean, think about this for a moment. Uh, we have a five-year-old daughter who's not still not sure of the boundaries of where the sidewalk ends and the road begins. And so we have to constantly discipline her. This is where the sidewalk is. This is how far you can go. If you get closer to the street, to the curb, these are the things that might happen. No doubt if she was to run into the street, would we just sit back and watch? Or would we incur judgment upon her? Hey, you little sinner, you're in the street. You're going to get run over. And we would run out into the street rescue her from the oncoming uh, destruction that may be coming her way. And it may seem like to her that we're being harsh. You just picked me up and grabbed me. You're throwing me back into the yard. You threw me a long ways. Why are you disciplining me? Why are you being so stern and pointing your finger at me, Daddy? These types of things. Well, destruction is coming your way. Wrath was headed your way in in the form of a loud muffler in a Mustang car driving down our street. Wrath was coming. Didn't you see it? Didn't you hear it? No. Distracted by our own feelings. Distracted by our own wants, our own desires, our own thought that we can, we can lead ourselves in the way that we should, we should go. And so the people of God, the same thing's happening. Zephaniah chapter one and chapter two. God is saying, look, you've, you've tried your best to lead yourself. You inquired of yourself. You tried your best to, to, to seek after the ways that you're supposed to go and, and in your seeking of those ways and inquiring of yourself and no longer trusting in me, wrath and destruction and judgment are the things that you deserve. Wrath and judgment are the things that are coming your way. Listen, judgment is on its way. Wrath is on its way. You need to be saved from that. And so you you know the gospel, you know the truth behind all of this, you you can read backwards, you can see Zephaniah through the lens of the cross, through the lens of Jesus, and you can see Christ coming upon this earth to rescue us, running out into the street with us, to throw us back into the yard, throw us back into the family of God, and to, to take upon himself the destruction that we deserve, the wrath that we deserve, the judgment we deserve, to take that upon himself, because we can't. We can't handle it. Just to point out a couple of things in in chapter 1 of Zephaniah that we talked about last week, verse 12. At that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps, and I will punish the men who are complacent. The Lord is saying in this poetic moment here through Zephaniah that I'm going to I'm going to use a flashlight and I'm going to seek out all of Jerusalem, every corner, every crack, every cre- crevice. I'm going to look for sin in every place. I'm going to use a flashlight to find it because I want sin to be removed even among those who are complacent, who are of their own complacent. Those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will He do ill. Those who say in their hearts, God won't do anything. He's just up there sitting on his throne, doing nothing. He's not doing good, nor is he doing ill. This is where a lot of times uh, you hear people in our in our world today, and if you've said this, I'm not going to say shame on you, but you might rethink your thinking. This is a lot of times the same thought process of when we label God as the man upstairs. Oh, the man upstairs does these things, or the man upstairs, thanks to the man upstairs. We, we belittle him, we, we lessen who he is, and we forget about the wrath the power that he has, the wisdom that he has, the compassion, the mercy, the love that he has. We forget about all these things. We begin to say in our heart, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. So we have to think about this. Number one, sin is, is really a heart issue. It's not just a, a behavior modification, but it really truly is a heart issue. We have to get to the heart of the matter Every day, Lord, change my heart. Let me see that the great day is approaching. Let me see that you are a God of mercy, yes, and a God of compassion, but you also are a God who will faithfully judge and righteously judge. And because of that, let me seek you and you alone. Verse 18 of chapter 1. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. Uh, verse 17. Before that, talks about their uh, about being blind about um about how the, the things of this uh, their body, the physical things, are not going to save them either. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. Paul Washer says it is that uh, that persecution has never hurt the church, but prosperity kills it every day. When we begin thinking that the things of this world, silver, gold, things that we can hold on to, things that we can we can, we can can even measure, those types of things, we say, oh, these things will deliver us. The Lord is saying, no, only I will be able to deliver you. That's why he offers, uh, over in verse 7, he offers this prepared sacrifice, reading through the lens of the cross, this sacrifice of Jesus. And then we get to chapter 2, verse 1, gather together, yes, gather, O shameless nation. Shameless nation. The, the the meaning there maybe some of your translations say uh, the nation with no shame or or no longing in them. They don't care about anything. Hey, you you no shame nation, you no longing nation, gather together before the decree takes effect. So in a sense, even with you this morning and, and myself this morning, uh, there's a moment where God say, I'm going to act justly and I'm going to judge and I'm going to pour out my wrath, but I am going to be patient in this. And I'm going to allow time. I'm going to allow time so that the people will have an opportunity to confess, repent, and turn back to me before gather together, shameless nation, before the decree takes effect, before the day passes away like chaff, before that there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord. So take a moment and say, before all these things take effect, for the people belonging to God in in the Old Testament, but also for those, even Gentiles today, before the return of the Lord, let's say, let's take into consideration what the Lord desires of us. And he says this in verse 3. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility, perhaps you may be hidden. So we get to this point where where God kind of lays it out. You've been inquiring of yourself. You've been seeking to uh, to to really synchronize or put together and mix and match other religions. You've been worshiping me, and I appreciate that, but you've also been worshiping other things. And I seek that you would only worship me, that your whole life would have a singular focus, that you would be about me and my glory, that you would recognize how detrimental sin and rebellion is. And that you would trust completely in me seek the lord all you humble of the land who do his commands seek righteousness seek humility perhaps you may be hidden i mean think to what christ has said in matthew chapter 6 it's recorded that we would seek the same way that we would that we'd seek him and him alone that we wouldn't be seeking other things but instead that we would uh, quickly daily be seeking his kingdom, His righteousness, for His sake, that He might be glorified. And then He gives us a promise. He says, everything will be added to you, the things that you need. When you're seeking Him and Him alone, then God will, He will provide for all, for all your needs. It's interesting that it ends there, kind of, or almost ends, uh, verse 3. It says, perhaps you may be hidden. Zephaniah, I told you last week, kind of at the end, that the name Zephaniah means Yahweh hides, or Yahweh treasures, that we might find We might find our lives hidden in God when we're seeking Him and Him alone. We'll come back to that. Here's the interesting thing. The people that were belonging to God, they were not seeking the Lord. Instead, they were seeking themselves, seeking their own thoughts, their own desires, seeking other religions, seeking other things to kind of bring together. And the God calls them out on that, saying, you're not singular in focus. You're focusing on a wide variety of things. You have a a wide spectrum of life and goals and ideals that you're searching and seeking for and, and putting your time and effort into. And you hear about the destruction and the wrath and you want satisfaction, you want satis- uh, salvation, you want peace in your life. And so you begin to search in other places thinking, well, truly is it, is it going to come from the Lord? Even today, you know people like this or maybe you even struggle with this at times or have these thoughts at times. Will God really provide for all my needs? Can I truly trust in Him and Him alone? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, something we learned in Sunday school uh, as, a, as a young person, that if we trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding, that He will direct all our paths, that He will make our way in the way of righteousness. And we're longing and seeking after Him and Him alone, but will He truly do that? Can I trust that He will do that? And in our skepticism, and are trying to be convinced through the Holy Spirit and convinced through other, uh, through God's Word or whatever it may be. We begin to seek other things, turn to other things, and it's interesting. In Zephaniah chapter two, you see that everywhere that the people belonging to God, the people of Judah in this case, everywhere that they turn physically, God is there judging. Sin is there. Despair is there. Look at chapter 2, verse 5. Woe to you, inhabitants of the seacoast, you nation of the cherithites The word of the Lord is against you, O Canaan, land of the Philistines. The land of the Philistines was literally on a map is west of Judah. So he goes on to say, verse 8, I've heard the taunts of Moab and the revilings of the Ammonites. Both of those places are to the east of Judah. It goes on to say in verse 12, You also, O Cushites, shall be slain by my sword. That's Ethiopia. It's south of Judah, in Africa there. And then verse 13, And he will stretch out his hand against the north and destroy Assyria. So on all sides, you see the, the Gentiles are surrounding Judah. And, the, and the, the people belonging to God, the Israelites, the people living in the land of Judah, they begin to seek other places. And the Lord is confident saying, You can go anywhere. You can search anywhere. You can seek anything. But let me tell you, destruction and judgment will be found. Any way you turn, you will see that you will run into the judgment of the Lord. So there's no point in running, Judah. There's no point in seeking other things. Because only satisfaction, only salvation, only the pleasure of God will only come from seeking the Lord. And so with that, there's hope. There's this change that can happen. When we see sin, when we see destruction, we see that there's no hope anywhere else, then we say, what, what do we need to do? We confess. We say, this is the sin that I'm, that I'm in. This is the sin that I'm living, or here's the identity that I think that I have. We repent of that. We say, no longer will I trust in these things, but instead I'm going to turn my life around and trust in something, in some, in something else. I mean, God is not content with judgment. He desires righteousness in His people. He desires his people to pursue and worship him and him alone. In all that we do, he desires for his people to be restored to his holiness. And as God is restoring his people, calling them to faith and repentance, he is also collecting his children back so they might offer to him an offering of worship. Adopted into his family, us as Gentiles. The gospel is this. The gospel is that God pursues his wandering children, bringing them into his adopted family and allowing them to enjoy his presence. Mike Bullmore says this, the glory of the gospel is this, that the one from whom we need to be saved from is the very one who saves. God's wrath is everywhere. It sounds crazy. It sounds depressing. This God, this Sounds like a monster almost. It is, his judgment is everywhere. But yet the one that we should be saved from, the one that we should be fearful of, is the one who's coming to save us, to rescue us. And that is his grace, his mercy, his compassion that he has for us. And that's why Zephaniah, though, be, though we label as a minor prophet, has this major theme of the entire Bible. That we can go from gloom to grace, from judgment to victory, from, from being full of sin to salvation and a life covered and hidden in Christ. I mean, the first truth from God to be, de- to be denied when sin entered the world was his judgment. Is God really going to judge us if we act this way? Will he really punish us or discipline us for sin? Will he really do these things? We cannot go complacent in what he, what he promises, what he says, what his word dec- declares to us. We have to understand that God keeps his word. There is punishment for sin, but there is hope, and the hope comes in the name of Jesus. The hope comes in the rescuing, the redeeming that Christ has done for us. Disobedience and rebellion leads to defilement. It leads to a loss of status. It leads to uh, an unfit or unclean or unholy life. And In the midst of all this rebellion and denial of who God is, the crazy thing is God constantly remains the same. He is still holy, he is still faithful, he is still pure, he is still righteous. And for this very reason is why we can trust that he is not content with judgment, but instead he desires for for his people to be pure, to be righteous, to be holy, because he is pure and righteous and faithful and holy. So what's the result? What's the result of sin? What's the result of of judgment? What's the result of judgment? Of all these things that are going on, well, the hope is that we would see these things. And we would turn to the Lord. We begin seeking Him and Him alone. And this is where chapter 3 comes in. Chapter 3 could be, could be um, compared to Revelation almost. Christ entering the world. Change, an opportunity for change is available. Confession of sin, repentance, turning around, seeking the Lord. Christ, you will be Lord of my life. Chapter 3, verse 1. Woe to her who is rebellious and defiled, the oppressing city. She listens to no voice. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. You know people like this. Uh, wives, you probably say this often, he doesn't listen to anybody. Like You're thinking, this I need to memorize this verse. So the next time we're in an argument, I'm like, hey, remember Zephaniah 3, 2? You listen to no one. And then the husband would say, yeah, but it says she. And I'm like, ah, and then the whole, so maybe don't do that. Instead, just point to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, leaning not on your own understanding. And then in all your ways, you're acknowledging him, and he will make your path straight. Verse 3, her officials within her are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves that leave nothing till morning. Her prophets are fickle, treacherous men. Her priests are profane. uh, They they profane what is holy. They do violence to the law. The Lord within her righteous, the Lord within her is righteous. He does not, he does not, uh, I'm having a hard time here. He does no injustice. Every morning he shows forth his justice. Each dawn he does not fail. But the unjust know no shame. So I've cut off nations. Their battlements are in ruins. I've laid waste their streets so that no one walks in them. Their cities have been made desolate without a man, without an inhabitant. Verse 7. And I said, surely you will fear me. You will accept correction. Well, let's hope, saint, if you're here this morning, one who's following Jesus faithfully, Let's hope this decree or declaration is not to you. Surely you will fear me, and then you will accept my correction. But instead, let's, let's let the hope be this, that you begin wisdom with understanding that it's the fear of the Lord, and that as you're walking with him, maybe correction isn't needed, because you desire to trust in him with everything that you are and find your whole self and your whole identity hidden in him and him alone. Then your dwelling would not be cut off according to all that I have appointed against you. But all the more they were eager to make all their deeds corrupt. Verse eight. Therefore wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up to seize the prey, be still, know that he is God, then he'll be exalted among the nations. Psalm 46.10, this waiting for the Lord. Back in chapter one, where we're seeing this hush, be silent. Verse seven. This waiting to see what the Lord has to say, the what He's going to do, going to do. The daily we're saying, I'm trusting in you, God, trusting that you're going to keep your promises. For my decision is to gather nations. Notice that God isn't saying just one, but all of them. For my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms. What is he what will he do when the Those are assembled or brought together. To pour out upon them my indignation, all my burning anger. For in the fire of my jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. Gloom, doom, judgment, wrath, fury, all these things that we don't like to talk about. Verse 9. For at that time, here's the hope. When I gather all these folks together, kingdoms, nations, for at that time, I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech. How does that happen? How does Isaiah say, Oh, I'm I'm full of sin, so you want me to speak for you, but change my speech, make my speech pure. Well you have to be purified, washed in the blood so we know because we're looking at this through the lens of the cross, seeing that our lives can be purified only through Christ. Then we can call on the name of the Lord. Then we can worship Him. Previously struggling with trusting God, God changes our speech and makes it pure. Now because of grace, we will trust Him. We will call upon His name and worship Him and Him alone. I used to, to try and trust God, but in the end, really, I was only trusting in myself. Now I see the fault of that. And I trust in God and God alone. I will die to self and live for God. I will let him change my speech and make my life be pure. So when I say I want to glorify God, I'm actually glorifying the Lord. I'm not two-faced or hypocritical, but instead my whole life for him, my heart being changed by him with a pure speech. And that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. It's going to change. Repentance happens. not just confession, oh, I'm terrible, but instead repentance. And now. will... I'm terrible, I'm full of sin, and I want to change. And the only way I can be changed is by you, Lord, changing me. And so change me. And as he's changing our speech and making us pure, then he sends us with one accord to serve him with a singular focus, not committed to serving him and him alone, no longer focused on self, pre-grace, pre-salvation. I was focused on self and how to serve only myself. I had a job to serve me. I had a, a life and hobbies to serve me and me alone. Most of my life was about me, but instead I recognized grace coming in and because of grace I'm ready to serve Christ and Him alone with a singular focus across the spectrum of all my life. All my ideals, all my goals will be focused upon God and His glory. Verse 11. On that day, you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. How many of you struggle with that? You constantly think that you're guilty. You constantly are, are, are tempted reminded even by Satan of the sins that you used to commit or the sins that you committed this morning and constantly you put your guilt before the Lord oh I'm guilty I'm guilty I'm guilty I'm guilty but on that day you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me I'm almost preaching for then I will remove from your midst your proudly exaltant ones and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain but I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly Like the Savior that we serve, like the Savior that sacrificed Himself, leaving His place of highness of royalty, coming upon this earth, Philippians chapter two, taking the form of a lowly servant, riding in on a donkey, suffering servant, to, to 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 provide for us the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. But I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly, and they shall seek refuge. In the name of the Lord. Romans. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. They will seek refuge. They will seek to be hidden. They will seek comfort and peace and security in the name of the Lord. Christian, this week, as you struggle with sin and guilt, and Satan tempts you to label yourself with sin and guilt, remind yourself They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. Remind yourself of you being hidden in Christ. Verse 13, those who are left in Israel, they shall do no injustice and speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue, for they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. It's it's the book of Revelation. This hope that we have that one day, Revelation 21, one day there will be a time with no more tears, no more sorrow that we'll be living in right relationship eternally with the Father, and that we will have no fear, Psalm 23, that as we lie down because our Savior, the Good Shepherd, comforts us, we can lie down and never be afraid again. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exalt with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. We Think about this as we sang before the throne of God that were hid in Christ. Someone should shout. I know we're not Pentecostal or Simmons of God, but someone should shout. Because the Cowboys lost us. We gotta shout at something. We should shout that Christ has done this for us. Verse 15, underline, the Lord. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. Romans 8.1, no longer is there condemnation, but in Christ you have been forgiven. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let your hands Let not your hands grow weak. And then verse 17 kind of sums up all of Zephaniah, the hope that we have. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. He will rejoice over you Exalt over you with loud singing. John Piper says this, If God spoke with a soft, lowly voice and created the world, what is happening when he's singing loudly over his forgiven saints? The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors. I will save the lame. I will gather the outcasts. I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time I will bring in. At that time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. Revelation chapter 5, verses 9-10. through 10 gathered around, worthy is the lamb. The lamb that was, that was worthy to be slain, to gather the entire world to himself, that they may be forgiven of their sins. Revelations chapter seven, verses nine through 12. Every tongue, every tribe, every nation gathered around singing, worthy is the lamb. How do they do that? How can you do that? How can I do that? Only when our identity is hidden in Christ. When we seek the Lord, turn away from the things that we've been seeking after and no longer inquiring of ourselves no longer just confessing our sins but actually repenting of our sins turning towards, towards turning towards Christ away from the things of this world colossians 3 3 through 4 for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God when Christ who is your life appears then you also will appear appear with him in glory as Christ the the lamb that was slain walks into the the myriads upon myriads of angels who are surrounding the throne. And and the angels are rejoicing over the, the lamb that was slain. Do you know what else they see? Hidden in him is you and I. The lamb worthy to be slain. And we are hidden in him. and Our identity must be in him and him alone. So Zephaniah, this minor prophet with a major theme here, who's saying you can go from gloom to grace. You can't go from destruction to mercy. You can't go from sin to salvation because your life can be hidden in God through Christ. We must, though, we must turn from sin and turn to Christ. Let me pray for you. Lord, this morning, as we've heard your words, we know truth. I pray that you would stir in our hearts an affection to shout because of what you've done for us. Maybe even the energy to stand with no fear and no guilt because we recognize Romans 8.1. We see Colossians 3, 3 and 4. We read all of Zephaniah and see that God, you are not just a God of judgment, though you promise that, but you are also a God of compassion and mercy. A God who wants us to be in your midst. A God who wants us to be in your family. A God who wants us to be righteous. So God, stir in our hearts an affection for holiness, for righteousness. For most of all, an affection for your son Jesus. That our identity might be in him and him alone. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.